What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Modern Craftsman. We just, let's just call it The Modern Craftsman. Why do we have to say Monday? Uh, I mean, I guess people know it's Monday. Yeah, another Monday. episode of The Modern Craftsman. What if we on what Monday? We, let's mix this yeah, up because then it just gives us the ability to post it any day of the week. Not that exactly. we're going to, but just having that freedom might make a big no, deal. No, but it might also be annoying when someone like doesn't listen on Monday yeah. and then it's Tuesday and then we say, hey, welcome back to the Monday. They're like Monday. looking at the radio and they're like, <laughs> it, like, you're messing my day up, man. Like I was trying to pretend I was uh, on time. True. You know? Good idea. All right. Welcome it. to the Modern. <laughs> I don't know. I also don't want to have a radio voice on this. I just want to. Let's just let's just get into this. We are talking with Joe and Adam from Cardinal Crest, Kansas City. Missouri. Today. I'm going to say that every single time. Because I still don't Can't know believe. Yeah. I'm having a hard time comprehending that. They were nice. They're, they're, they're a cool group. They are 50-50 partners. Straight out of college, they looked at each other, basically leaving their last frat potty and said, I, did you hear that? Potty. Boston accent? Potty. potty. Yeah. <laughs> frat. <laughs> frat party and said, hey, you want to start a business? And that was it. Yeah, but they, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you hear about now and obviously it worked out. Um, but I, I tend to think it's like, if that were my daughter and she were that age and that was what her plan, I'd love to think I'm going to give them like to the wings to go and do that. But I might be like, Hey, you want to try and just like work a normal job first and not do that? Get a drafting job yeah. for 28k a year. It's something a little more, uh. Just maybe closer to home and possibly safer. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> we get into the unsafe neighborhoods as well. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, from their story of sharing a truck uh, early on, you know, because that's what they could afford to building, you know, the company that they have now, which you are probably familiar with on Instagram. If you're not Cardinal Crest KC, um, they have built quite the business and, you know, they share the entire journey of the uphill battle in which it was. Yeah, it's a good story. Uh, it was it was interesting. I, a lot of times I feel, you know, we dig into the startup stories on people and it's the same story. Um, but this one was fairly unique. I liked it. It was enjoyable to hear. It took up a, a decent, the the whole startup and kind of getting to where they want was a lot of the podcast. And it's it's a good listen. It's kind of a nice little narrative. It's a nice little six love story by the way they were talking to each other, you know? Mm. Beautiful. It was love. It can make yeah. like a Disney movie after it. Oh my gosh. Imagine. <laughs> Let's pitch this to Disney. Good idea. Modern craftsman sponsored Disney. I like that. Yep. <laughs> Is this your, so do you guys own this office? Oh, we it do. Looks like, dude, it's sick. Well, thank you. We we bought it a year ago, I think. What was and it? It was like an auto. Well, it was an auto shop, like headquarters. Mm. So it's got like a garage door, like right there. Yeah. And um, before that, it was like a crazy locksmith guy forever. And it was just like a big grease pit. Um, the building's like 1935. The Ace Hardware right next door was built in 1938, and it mm. was like built as an actual Ace Hardware. And it's like legitimately, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how fire code works with these existing buildings, but like you can't fit down certain aisles in the Ace Hardware without doing like straight up this. Like you're like looking <laughs> at like 
you're looking at like this specialty like metric bolts and you're like chest right here what it's actually pretty wild i need to do like a tour of it. it's kind of fun yeah and it has a, and it has a basement which is kind of weird for downtown yeah no, that, i mean so you guys like you guys renovated this whole this whole shop yeah yeah so we the layout was kind of similar uh in certain ways but um yeah we we got we gutted it and uh did all these steel partition walls and kind of wanted to make it it's got all these uh these really cool um these it's got a barrel roof and it's got these old iron uh steel trusses mm. yeah, and sick. so yeah it's it's got some really cool things about it we spent a ton of money on this steel partitions that kind of suck in a sense <laughs> they are a I'm, ton of money. I'm still trying to figure out I don't know how echoey I am but you're the good ceiling the ceilings are so tall in here that it's kind of a yeah like we try to we try to do like zoom calls with like guys in the field and it's a nightmare to like hear everybody in like a conference room here and then hear them on tv it's like we uh we did a big loft uh condo and we added a bunch of acoustical panels up high on the walls on the ceiling so and they had all steel trusses and it was echoey but it helped tremendously uh oh, yeah. and and in his office he actually bought homosote like three-quarter inch homosote or half inch homosote from like home yeah. depot just put it up on the wall and he, we actually painted it so the paint actually reduces some of the acoustical <sighs> absorption but it matched the wall it helped yeah and he, and he doubles it as like a uh attack board so that's, up that's cool like high idea. on that on that drywall you could put and what we found is the acoustical panels they're just basically rock wool comfort board yeah. wrapped wrapped with a fabric like speaker yeah. fabric yeah that's a good idea it's kind of like i i we haven't touched it because it just looks cool and mm. it looks like an old factory and that's fun but yeah it's really annoying i mean when so, a lot of people get in here where were you guys before we were at a uh uh, like a work share place. Where were we? Is yeah. the <laughs> like a like a work share, like a uh, we work. Yeah, it, yeah, it, very, a local one that's called iWorks, and it was across the street from this place. But we, so here, long story short, before that we were. No, tell me the long that. story. Okay, well, the first <laughs> office. <laughs> I mean, high B local grocery yes. store. How far back you want to go? You tell me. Okay, here we go. Get get ready. Strap in. I'm a variety, so I got a bunch of stories. <laughs> Are you? You're gonna prove it. <laughs> um, well, Adam and I were not originally from Kansas City, and I had some family out here. And oh, 2010, um, Adam and I were we met in college. Um, and we actually were doing the NAHB student competition together. And, uh, um, that's like when you do like a feasibility study and market research and like create a, uh, company on paper and, you know, 2010 was 2010 and, uh, market was sucky and I didn't, we didn't have any job offers and I was graduating that year. I, I was a little older and had gone back to school and we were getting construction management degrees and, uh, we kind of started taking that competition like way seriously because it was like, well, what if we just build this thing on paper and see how it goes? And uh, because there was no job opportunities, um, I was, uh, Adam and I were talking one night and we we're like, freak it. Like, why don't we just do this ourselves? Like, we, 
we were we were married, but we didn't have any kids. And I think the only job offer I got when I graduated was like a a drafting position because I knew Revit and we learned Revit in school uh, at in Las Cruces, New Mexico, for like twenty five twenty eight thousand a year. And I was like, freak! I go to Home Depot and like climb the ladder. <laughs> I was like, that seems really rough. What college um, so, did you go to? Um, both Adam and I went to do. BYU, Brigham Young. Okay. Cougs, the Cougars. And don't get me wrong, there was there was job offers, but uh, they were unpaid positions. It, it was more, mostly uh, an internship that was unpaid. Those were the Sick. offers we were getting. Yeah. <laughs> the best. The best. Actually, I didn't even know interns got paid until I became an employer. And I was like, <laughs> oh, you pay interns. <laughs> Um, so Adam and I started looking at a bunch of different cities and we were like, we were going, I'm originally from Las Vegas, uh, lived there for 23 years until I, um, oh gosh, I guess 25 years until we, I went and started going to college. I went to UNLV in Las Vegas for a little bit and then I, I transferred to BYU and, um, uh, Adam, sorry, sorry to speak for Adam here. Adam's from Sacramento, California. Um, and uh, both our markets were toasted. Uh, Vegas in 2010 was still like, like nobody was doing much. I mean, you were flipping homes if you did anything construction or, or just trying to find something. Um, and so we looked at a bunch of different markets. Uh, we looked at Texas, we looked at Kansas City. Uh, we kind of looked at places where we naturally had family or somebody around there and eventually said, mm, let's try Kansas City because uh, there wasn't there's no national builders here they're all regional builders the economy was still kind of decent in 2010 and so anyway uh, we moved here um, so the first office was in a loft in a river market we call it in Kansas City I would say Adam and I shared a truck for the first two years <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep it was a Chevy Silverado. And this was a purple. I was a, it was I beautiful. Given, Maroonish, yeah, it was Maroonish like maroon. purplish. I had given it to my sister-in-law for a little bit, traded her, tried to you know upsell her, and she painted it maroon, and then I bought it back from her. And <laughs> the California raisin color? Yeah, kind of like that. That's a good yeah, like, a big, like a big bruise. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She actually got like a decent paint job where like they painted the jams and whatnot. So you like open the door and it kind of looked like, I remember people were like, was that like a weird factory color? Cause like your doors are all like, Dude, you wasn't know how... it, wasn't it, uh, Mako? I don't know if they had them, but Mako is this auto body around us. And you could literally, it was 600 bucks. You could get your car painted. And this kid in my high school had a S 10 and he got it painted. It was like originally pewter and it came in one day and it was black. I'm like, what the hell? And like, the muffler was painted, like the leaf springs were painted. And he's like, yeah, dude, all you all you got to do is you tape off what you don't want paint on just and you just it. drop it off and they spray it. I'm like, what? It's like, it's like an it's like an hour car wash. It's you literally like, like that's what, how I picture it. It's like you, you don't even get out of the truck. You just drive through. It's like pull forward. Yeah. All right. Go sit in the sun for an hour. Put it on a good podcast and just by the time you're done. <laughs> it's kind of a deal though it is like if you think like color change yeah yeah. Yeah. like if you it would be such a hassle to do that yourself Mm -hmm. dude i I feel like i have stuff that i would paint that way for 600 bucks 
I painted our suburban growing up out outside in Las Vegas and like a spring day. My dad was crazy and he'd always like just do wild stuff like that. And we masked off. We bondled the hell out of this thing and masked it off and we painted a full on suburban white. And it was used to be like that was that blue and gray. It was like the suburban with those button like hand like you know, yeah. you push the button. Yeah, we painted the whole thing white. And I remember like flipping at my dad flipping out when the wind would pick up. He's like, Oh crap, we're gonna get leaves in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Sorry. Sorry, that was a, a digress. Um, so, but it's like to kind of fill in just a little bit there, like we would, Joe um, would pick me up every morning from uh, the apartment I was living at in Kansas City. Sometimes he would have to wait 30, 40 minutes because maybe I slept in once or twice and I was, dude, I'll be right down. I'm sorry. But uh, we would, you know, clients early on, they would give us a call. Hey, we'd love to meet. Um, where's your office? And we'd be like, hey, don't worry. Uh, we'll come to Mobile. you. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? And we're like, we'll meet you at your house. It'll be great. And so early on, the first two, three years, we were meeting at uh, our homeowners' homes and doing design meetings with them in their own home. And these people, I mean, I feel like they loved it. Cause it was just like full service. We did anything and everything for, for these people, but that was the first few years. And then we got a model home complete. And then it was, what was like, it like your scope originally designing and doing renovation? Yeah. Like, well, a little bit. It, it was new. We wanted to uh, new homes, you know, that was always the scope. That's always what we wanted mm -hmm. to do. And Joe and I, we both learned, and we took like an added emphasis, right? In school, like our education, it, it was everything for, sure. for Joe and I, you know, it gave us the confidence to, to move to Kansas city and start a home mm -hmm. building company, like for real. Out of thin air. And so we had out of thin, whew, nothing. Yeah. First generation, dude. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. I love that you slept in though. Like, I feel like I wouldn't like in that scenario, like I wouldn't even sleep. Like I'm, he did it. He did a couple times. I'd be like, bro, a couple I'm down. times. That I'm was down. a week. Well, I'm, I'm down. Back then, I had hair. I had hair, so I had to do my hair and stuff. Now it's. it's I had to do my hair better. too, but I, I don't so, sleep in. He he also lived in a sketch apartment. Downtown. Oh, so you didn't want to be sitting outside for that long? Like like no. people got subsidized housing. People got in trouble. Like, it's like Adam, if you're not down here in five minutes, I'm leaving. I am not safe. Goodbye. It was like, bro, yeah. take a lap. I'll, I'll be no, 10 minutes. No take joke. Cadillac converters were cut out broad daylight in oh, that no. parking lot all the time. It was fun. You this, is, this is the My city wife. that you chose to open up <laughs> a new business. It's Construction changed a lot. Hot. It's changed a lot in 10 years. So, so is the recycling industry. <laughs> Bar barbecue's great so like it was like gotta go yeah <laughs> worth it worth it all right so you guys are driving to everyone's house you're you're basically playing it off as though don't waste your time by driving to our fancy office yeah. we'll come to you let we'll be full service for you they're buying into it they're loving it you guys are sharing a truck oh, yeah. how long we, how, how long does we this bum off oh gosh two years uh, two? until Two years. So right? you got your first truck. Oh, I didn't get my first <laughs> truck. 
Oh, when did I get I, my first truck? Was it three years? Three it was years? Probably two years in, two and a half years. You got a truck, and then so like we were building a model home. We scrapped together in 2011. Actually, we didn't start it till about late 2011, early 2012. We started a model home in a neighborhood that we kind of pinned out that was outside of the city, outside of the Cadillac converter hack shop, and. It was, so we started that about 2012 and we're doing basements and remodels on the side because we had no money. And uh, our wives supported us. They both worked, happened to work at a salon together out here. And uh, like Adam said, we'd meet a lot of people at their houses. We actually did that. Uh, we officed at a high V, like he said, because they had free internet and there was one close and a killer salad bar. So that was like- What's a high V? Oh, you like a yeah, it's a, I didn't. I, I guess I didn't even realize that it's local. It's, so you I guys would the, you you guys would perch up at a, a grocery store to have a meeting? No, yeah. well, us. Oh, to work, just, to work, no, to, oh, to just, just work. us. To just they work. had these like fancy booths <laughs> that were like uh, gotcha. tucked away. Um, so we did that. I mean, when the first model home was built, we office out of the ba unfinished basement out of there. So that was probably 2013 or late 2012. And then we bounced from model home to model home up until about two years ago. And we've been in business for for about 11 years. So we mm. officed out of the, and then we graduated from the basement of the model homes to um, like, we put mini splits into the garages. And so we would be in the garages and as like the team grew, it was like super, people would like be touring the home and like, We'd, someone would forget to lock the door and you'd, they would walk in and see like the spread of like, you know, eight guys inside this garage. And they're like, what is going like on Like a scene here? from like Wolf of Wall Street. They're all yeah. trading like penny stocks in the garage. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And then you have this awkward like look at them and like you want didn't want to address it because you're like, they're bothering you right during your work. But you're like, yeah, this is us. This is our business. How's it going? Yeah. So we did... And, and the intent behind all that, right, to, to be in these model homes, we were brand new to the area. We didn't have a name. And we thought, dude, there's no one better to sell our product than ourselves. So it was, you know, Joe and I, we would take turns, rock, paper, scissors, would someone would come in the model, we'd walk upstairs. Hey, how's it going? I'm the owner of the company. Let me walk you through this. Let me tell you about what we do. And, and it, it was great. It was, it was awesome. It, it, we were, without having... <laughs> a ton of sales we were constantly busy because we were talking to everyone and we were designing homes left and right i can't tell you how many homes we probably designed uh without building them and seeing them being built next door we didn't know how to do anything you know we didn't know how to put a contract together we didn't know that you could design for mm. money really you know like we were just trying to like put out these designs so someone would sign a new home sales contract for it with us to, to build a home. This podcast is brought to you by Duration Molding and Millwork. Likely the only truly beveled shape composite siding on the market. Most composite sidings trying to simulate beveled siding are simply lapped rectangular pieces. Well, to give people a little bit of background on us on their Instagram, they posted a picture recently of woven uh, siding versus mitered siding. So... I looked at that photo and did not realize that it was going to look different, but it's different. It's slightly different. Like you can, it's, it's a similar look. Yeah. But I think that 
when you look at woven versus mitered, there is a clear difference between it, which is subtle enough to, in my opinion, like change the whole look of that corner of the house. Yeah. I mean, I like, I think that if you have a specific um, application where you want one, I, I don't know. Like they both work. I think that it, it depends. No, they don't. On... They both totally work. I just I I didn't realize that you would net a different result. Yeah, is exactly. what I was getting at. Correct. Yeah. Um. And but, but it's nice that you can. And no matter if you're gluing that miter or the lap, you know they're staying tight, and you're you are achieving that similar result. Yeah. Um. Because I think I think how thick the product is. It says it's five a thick. It mm-hmm. allows you to either miter that or lap it, which I know a lot of other products out there on the market. Um, because how thin they are, you, you don't have the ability to do both. I also, yeah. there's a lot of products that I would not miter and hope no. to hold up. So no. And, uh, you know, from what we've heard, a lot of architects have, th- has thanked duration molding and millwork for bringing this detail back because they miss seeing it with the, you know, traditional red cedar or wood siding. So which one do you prefer? I like the, I like the woven. Yeah. I think I like the woven. I, I've done mitered, but I like the woven because it. I, I feel like it stands more tall. Does that make sense? Probably not. Sorry, Keith. If you guys want to learn more, durationmillwork.com. There's some photos on their website as well as their Instagram. Check them out, Duration Millwork. This podcast is also brought to you by Rental Run. Let's get right to the, the good part. If you guys want free delivery, we'll pay delivery. Podcast.rentalrun.com slash moderncraftsman. Your first order will be on us. They just launched another location in Washington, D.C. They are not only handling last-minute deliveries, but they're also handling full deliveries. Oh, really? They're, they, they, can, they can help you with your takeoff. They can get all of the material that you need delivered to the, to the job site. But, you know, I was able to catch up with them at the Builder Show. I mean, they got some serious stuff in the works. They got a lot of a lot of horsepower behind them. They just closed a huge investment round. If you're on following them on LinkedIn, that's a huge win for them. I can only see this be being a more and more efficient way of getting job site material, even from the beginning. And to be in a city near you soon, if it's not already. Yeah. So we are. I'm gonna try to list these off: Boston, Chicago, Washington D.C., and Philly. Yeah, and all of. Well, not all of, but the eastern part of Canada. There's a, Canada. there's a few. <laughs> America's hat. I had so <laughs> many people hat. send me stuff about America's hat. They're like, it's no, name. it's a real thing. Yeah. It is. Well, we looked it up. Yeah, <laughs> Google says it. I had a bunch of people send me stuff about that. Guys, this podcast is also brought to you by Rockwool. So Rockwool has partnered up with the Modern Craftsman. Uh, they have a new program. Uh, that, that that just came out, the R-Class Builder. You can check it out on their website, rockwell.com. Um, you guys know that myself, I'm using Rockwell on all of our projects. Our Rhode Island build right now, our passive home, that is packed full of Rockwell. We have six inches of the comfort board on the outside. We have comfort bat on the inside. We have safe and sound for sound insulation on the interior walls. You know, they have been our go-to for insulation for... I mean, really all of our projects um, and they've done a great job, uh, not only from the sound control, but, you know, uh, from the thermal control. But I wanted I wanted to specifically mention that, 
you know, one of the details that we've done in Rhode Island is below grade and below slab, which a ton of you guys have reached out and asked and, and questioned. But Rockwell has been there every step of the way to make sure that we are installing that stuff from a correct technical manner. It's amazing to see how far they've come because I I look back at, you know, when I first started my business and the only time I used Rockwell was for fire blocking. Yeah. And like, I remember I remember buying it just for Yeah, that. like just for fire blocking. And right. now it's like, no, there's there's a, a lot of good uses for this aside from just fire blocking in just a few short years. So if you guys want to find out more, head, o- head over to rockwool.com. Uh, check out their R-Class builder program. Uh, if you guys are using this stuff on a regular basis, uh, this is where game-changing building begins. Do you know what I want to dig into? And we're not going to do it now, but uh, we'll get the info from them. But, you know, in more traditional construction methods with rock wool and uh, vapor barrier options, you know, for like remodels that I mentioned that that I get into. We're doing it now. Are you? Yeah, they're a technical team. We actually sent over the blueprints of a new project that we don't have this this uh, non-traditional envelope design, we'll call it. Yeah, we have a very traditional envelope design and we kicked it over to them and their their technical team is going to actually work with us to develop the best um the the best assembly using their product cool and 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 what's nice is in in the past they've looked at it and it's not always all their product They're, they would maybe recommend hey use this here yeah but then use rock wool here yeah. in this in this position oh interesting that yeah. wasn't even a pitch or a feed to you that just worked oh. out well look at that <laughs> that first model home you scrapped enough funds to do that yeah. You put you you put that house together. You officed in the basement. You guys would rock rock paper scissors for touring people through it, and then finally someone would buy it. Yeah, and that's when you started the next model home. Yeah, but well, well, it, uh, the the big thing was like um, model the model home was um, we tried to sell off that. And so we did get multiple builds from that one model home. And so the, every mm. time someone would come in, I mean, it was our goal. We knew how much of a heavy lift that first model was. So it was always our goal when someone walked through is we wouldn't build one just like this, but customized to you. Mm. Um, and so, you know, when we first tried to do this, I mean, literally, I think seven banks told me no, like, no, this is a horrible idea. And here's a stack of foreclosures you should fix up. And I mean, in hindsight, I know a lot of guys who did that and made a lot more money than I ever had. So probably should have done that, but I was too, we were too stubborn. We just really wanted to get the new construction. So we probably sold, I don't know, Adam, like from the first model home, I would say that probably produced 10 to 15 homes. Like it, it did really well for us. We did it like, I mean, this was 2011, 12. I remember we painted the kitchen white and the realtor walked in and then in the neighborhood realtor, you get like contracted in to like have to have her sell it. She was like, oh my gosh, you ruined this home. You ruined it. I can't believe you. Are you guys like, this is your first one? And uh, it was fun. She like, she was really a Janice. Her name was good old Janice. Dude. I don't know why I had in my mind her name was Janice. 
<laughs> as you're like, as you're talking, I'm like, man, I better name Janice. <laughs> Hey. Like, have you seen you've seen Sing too or Sing yes. right and like yeah. the tall llama? Oh yeah, like yeah. The, the lady from the bank. Yeah, like yeah. that's who I pictured. <laughs> oh, oh, she she was she was a variety. Janice from well. the bank, bank line too. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah, she was she was a ball buster. Let me tell you, like she got crap. She was one of those realtors who were like, I mean, she had lived through the heyday, and so even like 2011. She would just be like, crap or get off the pot. I don't care. You're going to sign a contract now? No, mm-hmm. leave. She was really intimidating, actually. So, like, it kind of fits what you're saying there. So, you know, your first model home producing 10, 15 projects from that are, at this point, are you guys profitable? Oh, uh, barely. I, we didn't make any money off the first model home. This is really embarrassing. But, I mean, I guess that's what this is for, right? Uh <laughs> I, I, I let's just clarify. We've all been not profitable. We've all we've all donated plenty of our hard earned time and money into this industry. I think so. it's hard to be profitable when you first start a business too. Like right, even right? if you totally. think that you're profitable and you look at like on paper, it's like yeah, I'm pro-, and then it's not like a sustainable type of profit. No, no it's your tax guy yeah. telling you that you made half a million dollars, and you're like, but where is where is yeah, where? <laughs> exactly. It's already gone. Yeah. I- I think like to just like maybe like blow through some of those figures. Like I think the first year, Joe, we made like, you know, just like uh, to Tyler's point, like I think we made $6,000 each, like our first year. I think our second year we were like, dude, we doubled it. We made 12 or 13. We're like, should have taken the draft. Should have taken the drafting job. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And then uh, it, it wasn't until year four or five where, you know, it actually really started. It was year four uh, where it was like, you know, years one through three were like, are we mm. sure about this? And then it was like, how real were, were those we were conversations? Like, we could do this. Like oh. year one through three, like tears. Yeah. Tears. <laughs> but was it, <laughs> and was real. it between you two or like were the wives up to speed? Like, well, dude, this is how real it was. Like, food stamps, government assistance, um, like totally wives were involved every yeah. step of the way. And then it's like on those first three years, you're like, wait, we're pregnant. Right. Wait, we're having another one. Oh, yeah. freak. We got to start, we got to start taking this serious. Very real. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think that, that the timeline, I don't know. I'm sure it's obviously getting your business up and running. I think that so many construction companies, especially residential, no matter what type they are, usually somebody starting that business coming from working from somebody else or straight out of school doesn't have any business sense either. So I think you're trying to wrap your head around the logistics of construction. And then you just like, you don't know how a a business is supposed to operate and you don't have enough time under your belt to be like any change that you implement your, your business structure is changing so quickly that you don't really have any metric as to what's working and what's not. That's exactly right. I mean, I think uh, what helped us sell those homes, those first homes, now I think about that, is I remember the first like year of trying to sell homes off that first model home and everybody's question was, you know, I was 30, I think by then, but everybody's question was still, I mean, he's freaking young. 
And like, well, what's your experience? Like, who do you know in Kansas City? And we didn't have many roots. And so I, I remember the street. Is that what street is that actually the Griffins live on? It's like 90, well, uh, 93rd Terrace, 94th Terrace. Like, we seriously were like, I remember Adam and I had the decision. We had like five people like in the sales pocket, like kind of like just like teetering on us. And I remember Adam and I said, dude, we just need that. We need product. We need homes to prove that we can do this. And we were like, just drop the price, just drop the price. And, and we built five, four homes on that neighborhood in that street. One of them straight up, we, I think we paid the last bill was like, uh, something in their appliances and we totally like didn't have it in the budget and we was like $2,800. I was like, well, officially we paid for this home. That was, that was their home now. And we did the same thing with three others. It was a rough year, like looking back and like looking at margin, what we should have made. Um, but like after that street, never again, did someone ask, uh, what's your guys experience? Like, what have you like, it was like we, the couple years after that, it was still like, man, did we make the right decision? But like looking back now, like that's what set us. Uh, it was that, the that, yeah, that was like the real dig in moment of like, hey, we're going to build four homes. It's going to take eight to ten, well, back then, probably eight to nine months. Um, and we're going to be free and we're just going to build them. And it's going to be after that, no one's going to ask, hey, what's your experience? What have you done? And that was huge. And luckily we were so lean back then. And like, we didn't have big families Our wives were supporting us. Um, and it was, it was, it, we were able to do that. Um, but it sucked. <laughs> really yeah, that just comes down to being an investment too. I mean, right. just like your investment so, and sweat equity into that business. So true. Actually, my brother, I have a couple of brothers who are doctors and they used to say that to me when I was like super depressed. They're like, well, we went to school for like eight years. And we didn't make any money. So like, this is just you putting in the time. And I'm like, that's true. Mm. You, yeah, you I mean, said it's not had that em- long at the end of the day. No. You said you had employees at this time? During like during the, that first model home? or No. The, not during the first one. The, um, and I mean, not during the first one. At Once we started, like maybe like, four when we had four homes mm. complete uh, we did hire someone and at that time right it was joe and i doing wearing every single hat in the business and it was the hardest thing was just getting the mm. mail and opening up you know op- opening up all the envelopes with all these bills we had to pay that was the most difficult thing so we hired this one kid who had just zero experience in anything i think he was like his wife she was a programmer and like he was she, she was the smart one and he played video games yeah. all day and uh and so we paid him to get the mail and and organize the mail by uh you know mm. by address for the homes uh, just so we could manage you know make sure that bills were getting paid and we quickly realized that wasn't going to work and so then we made our first hire it was our first like real uh, honest hire and he's still with us today that was on year three, right? Year three. And and he's been with us basically the whole ride. And uh, he's been incredible. He's our office manager. Think of all the things that I would want to hire out first. I don't know if getting the mail would be the first one. There's a million things. I don't know if it's like Like my first first hire was to sort our mail. (laughs) 
That's how inexperienced it we was. It was a ton of mail. It was a ton. <laughs> you know, $6,000, $12,000, like looking at those years and, and having the time, like the food stamps and, and being reliant on, you know, just the tenacity to kind of work through that. Like what, why, like why, why not go back and take the drafting job for 28,000 or go do something else? Like what was, what was really in your mind, the reason that you were sticking to it, even though you weren't making a decent, a, a living really at all. The barbecue. <laughs> Just baby Burn hands. Burn hands. Um, <laughs> honest, like for me, I guess, um, you know, I, uh, I grew up uh, in the industry. My dad was a, a remodeler. Um, he built a, a few custom homes in, in his lifetime. Um, and I could see the way that he raised our family. I've got four siblings and my dad was present, you know, like, uh, like it was a huge blessing to, to have him in my life in those younger years where, you know, he would play baseball with me. Um, he would go watch me skateboard and, and stuff. And, and my dad owned this business, very small business. It was just him. The name of the business was Schaefer and Sons Construction. And uh, I, I think like, you know, meeting Joe and understanding um, what my dad was able to give to his family and then meeting my awesome business partner, Joe, like who we just like believe in each other, like, I was working so hard because I didn't want to let Joe down. Wow. And I knew what that could end up as. You know, this could end up where I could have the freedom to go to my kids' soccer games so I could go to their dance recitals. And like, that's probably like the most honest answer, I think, right there. And it was never anything, you know, I feel like Joe and I, we've never been this uh, greedy team where we're just out to make. All the money in the world that's our sure. goal right we just want to want to make money it was more just like dude let's carry each other let's get this done and we believe we know mm. it's going to grow we know it's going to make we're going to make it um, i think that's what helps super us super passionate i didn't like mine was so much <laughs> i'm like blown away by that answer um i mean i mean i i bounced back and forth like my first construction job was like a runner for uh plans and so like in las vegas i was like a like a courier like like for like plans because nobody could email plans in mm -hmm. 1999. uh you'd get the mail, mail boy, mail boy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now it makes sense it's not that <laughs> This is full circle. I lost that job when the internet was invented a year later. Um, so then I, I worked there and then I chose to work. Oh, I had an in at an asphalt company, which was a horrible job, but a great job. I mean, it was I, in Las Vegas. It was hot. It was a night job pretty much. And then I worked myself up to like estimating there. And I, then I was in college and I mean, construction was a good job in like those days like it still is but like it was like a lot of i knew a lot of people did construction and like um i knew a lot of like guys that started off framing for some of the big uh, production builders and whatnot and i knew some guys that 
uh, uh, you know, ran little remodel. And, and it seemed like the bad thing about Las Vegas is that half the industry was just gambling and construction. In the 1990s and 2000, there was only two economies in Vegas. It was those two. So like, I felt like it was so embedded. Like I just knew so many people in the industry. And so like, that's where I started at. And to kind of answer your question, so it just evolved after bouncing around like lots of people, you like work yourself through the trades. And I worked for a framer and I worked for a general and did different things. But what you had asked, like what had motivated me? And that's why I was like, man, Adam's answer is a lot better. Like I got, I know it Adam's is. Answer. I'm not going to lie. Adam's <laughs> answer is way better. <laughs> it was. Um, when we first started this, I got a lot of people that just said like, you're going, Adam got it too. You're going to fail. Like in, o, in 2010, like, I, we were in the construction management program in, in, in 07 too. And like literally that department got gutted from like 300 students to like a hundred. And uh, I remember when I got married and my father-in-law like learned I was doing construction. He's like, yeah, you should switch that. That's a bad industry. <laughs> and then the first model home, uh, like legitimately my dad was like, this will be good for you. I mean, I, bless my dad i love him but he was like this is going to be a good experience for you to learn how to fail and to come from do something else like he he was like you are not going to be successful in this mm. and i felt like that was a motto for a while and so i mean as bad as it is sometimes a good fu is a good motivator i was gonna so. ask you i was gonna <laughs> ask you guys since obviously you upped and relocated like what was what was your support system like, or was that just a, uh, you know, coming from other areas? Did you have any sort of local support system? Man, um, local, like HBA uh, kind of thing. No, like I you... mean, just like in general, you, you know, did you have anyone to kind of lean on when things didn't go right or ask questions? Um, I think that, you know, even with what we do and the internet now and the podcast and everything else, there's this entire network and community totally. that you can kind of lean on. And, yeah, yeah. you know, back then it, it, it's, it's not as, I guess, prevalent locally for me. And then, you know, everything social gave me that support system. I couldn't imagine kind of picking up and then relocating and not having any sort of support system to be running questions. Um, you know, am I doing this right? I just did this. It, it seems like you are setting yourself up almost for failure. Um, I mean, Adam's is really good hype, man. If you haven't seen that with his story, but <laughs> But um, you know what was actually pretty Again. what was pretty good is like our our we kind of grew like really close to I mean I did for our uh, our construction management professors who were industry professionals. Two of them actually visited us in year two. And like I was talking I, I felt like I had multiple phone calls with them often of like, you know, um, what's going on. And I, I, I think locally no support system. I would say the only support system Adam and I had were maybe past graduates, guys that we knew from school. I know we're talking a lot about school. I'm just like reliving the past right here with all this. But like, I would say for me, Adam might have a different answer. It's way better. But um, mine were old professors, to tell you the truth, just kind of wild. And then past like guys and other uh, that I worked with in Vegas or um, that I went to school with that were working somewhere else. Was, was your program um, more commercial based? 
No, it has become more commercial based. Yeah. Um, it, it, it actually, I think they might even have like an emphasis now. Um, but it, it was a lot of the guys were home built were like past home builders or even built during at the time. Um, there was like two professors who were really pushing the commercial. And now since it's, I would say it's way more commercial now than, than home building. Yeah. Cause um, that's what I ended up going for in the, the entire program. Nothing was based around residential, which I be honest, I had no idea going into it. Um, should have probably done my homework there. But uh, it was all commercial based and it was all union contractors and like all of, you know, every every um, professor was coming out of either commercial consulting, estimating, um, project management, all that stuff. So it's even getting out. There was I mean, there's a there's a huge disconnect between those two industries. They're they're almost independent of each other. So thinking of being able to rely on past uh, professors for me that wasn't even an option. That's interesting that you guys had like a, a residential based education. I mean, I think like to our classmates detriment, like Joe and I, we were so passionate about residential construction. If we got in a class, the only questions yeah. we were asking were residential questions. Yeah. And I felt like that kind of steered a lot of the conversation towards residential. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like even at the time when we graduated, 70 80 percent of the kids yeah, yeah. commercial um, but that was just like because of what was happening in the industry and, and we just went back a couple months ago and and spoke at at our at byu and and it was like a 60 40 split 60 percent commercial 40 percent of the kids i think that's still high what do you think nick i'd agree yeah. i mean i feel like most most if not everyone i graduated with got into commercial yeah, I think there's very few guys that are in residential. Uh, I guess, yeah, maybe ten percent in residential. Do you think that's because of, like the cities and towns you're in might be union based and like? I think it's be back then. I think it was hiring power and awareness mm, where it's yeah. like those those. I went to work for a high rise like a a developer that had a construction side, and I got in the high rise team. But it was the moment I graduated, I had a phone call. Like, hey, saw you graduated looking for assistant superintendent. And I was like, uh, not interested. They're like, no, you. I just want to interview you. You don't have to be interested. And I was like, okay. And oh. it was just like, and, it, and all of a sudden, it's like they're they're offering me two and a half times what my dad was paying me. I was like, all right, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna have to take this job. And I think that's. I think I, that would be my understanding. The guys that got into residential. Uh, the few that I can think of right now, they all got into residential because their family was already in it. So they went to school to, to basically get the degree, but then go back and work for their family's company. Yeah. I mean, I don't, obviously, it's about job placement as well right. and like the internships where I think it's going to be harder to be finding legit internships with residential guys. I couldn't imagine placing a college student on a residential internship, maybe for somebody like Nick's company, but... Most of the guys, <laughs> I'd be so pissed if I was paying for my kids to go to school and they were working for a residential contractor on their internship. <laughs> like, yeah, this is not this is not what I'm paying you to be doing. I think, like, I'm looking back at the professors in my mind, and I think, like, all, like the the founder of the construction management program at BYU, 
he was a re- he was a residential builder. He was a custom home builder. Jay uh, knew it. Mm. Um, and then like the Revit class we took to learn Revit architecture. And now like at, we like kind of took a knack for that and and really and Adam and I ended up teaching like kind of uh, being a teacher assistant for that class for a couple of years. That what we did in that class was draw a custom home in that yeah. class. And so like even the other like professors, they were all like one of them owned a, a larger production home builder in like um, outside of Boston, I think it was. And then he came back and became a teacher. So it's definitely like influence of the professors. And I think that's probably changed now because now that uh, there's a lot more younger professors who came from commercial background. Yeah. I mean, my school was based in Philadelphia as well which obviously they're they're getting leads and and job placement in their internship program and uh, a lot of the professors are coming from working within the city limits so it's primarily union jobs and commercial construction as well yeah yeah and then piggybacking off what joe was saying like our our professors were our our biggest fans you know they were like dude you don't want to work commercial great start your mm-hmm. own company we're like bull crap how yeah they were work? motivated you know, and they're like no you can do it you can do it Never. how and then like they, they helped us they were totally our, our biggest fans like way they were way more like helpful than my own family was yeah. right like is that i mean looking going back to the first three years you know the the low take home six thousand twelve thousand whatever it is what was when you finished those and, and you guys celebrated that you made $12,000 that year, like at what point, like, was there a point in time or a conversation that you had that when you jumped into that next project that, Hey, we're going to do this. So we make 30,000, 40,000, hundred thousand dollars a year. Like, or was yeah. it just like, were they incremental steps year after year? No, uh, that's a great question. We, we actually signed up for a builder trend uh, not a plug, but a fact, that, <laughs> uh, I think it was before the first model home was finished. And this is how, um, I actually had to have my brother give, uh, give me a loan on his credit card to pay for the first year. Um, and he signed up for us. And I remember like getting his credit card on that. Um, and so we job costed right at the get go. And mm-hmm. so we, you know, we, we, we were, we knew we were losing money. Like, yeah. uh, you know, at first it was Excel sheets and we, we were pretty savvy and we took our estimating class and we knew how to, and prior experience with other job, with other, uh, just contractors. We, we were job costing on Excel and then moved to builder trend. And, uh, you know, we knew we we didn't we didn't make a lot of money, and honestly, we poured everything back into the company. So that's like another fact to say, like the take home was low, but at the same time, um, if I really think about it, we made more on paper, but we put like like to your point, Nick, you said earlier, uh, we put you can't do a spec home without more money, and mm-hmm. the second one was was all us, mm-hmm. and like that at that point, we had paid everybody back. And in the, the time, it was so weird. Like in 2013, even I remember getting build like build jobs. We call it here, like a custom home. And let's say it was like for here, it's Kansas City. It's crazy. 
it was like a $500,000 home 10 years ago was a good home. Like that was a pretty cool home. It had some good custom features in it. Um, people were trying to put like five or 10% down and with us to build that home. And the banks were like, um, we don't know you. You've only got one home. I see you've got one year or two years of taxes and you're not doing that great. You need 20% down. And so we were actually coming up with money. So like a lot of that money, even though, you know, thinking about it and thinking like we only took home that six or 12, we were pouring a ton back into just right. being able to actually produce the work. Sure. And it was like, um, I mean, it just kind of kept disappearing. Like you were saying, like you, it says you made this much money on taxes, but it was all like shuffled away in all these projects. It's like, that's like your, your gross profit, right? Where it's like, right. yeah, okay. We made a couple hundred grand and what were our expenses? Well, our expenses were a couple hundred grand. So, right. you know, it, it was, it was all expended in, in the growth and the investment back into, you know, your company. So, over and over. I mean, going from a, a, a outsized, outside investor for your first spec to being able to fully fund your second, that's fast. I think anyone that, you know, we've talked to on here, like oftentimes it's a much slower progression than that, where it's like you talk about doing spec after spec or, you know, and you're, you're, you're utilizing hard money and then you're utilizing banks you know, because the rates are better. And then all of a sudden it's like, now I have enough liquidity where I can fund this myself. Yeah. Um, so that, so we, I mean. It was, I, I agree. And we actually, even that first one, we still had some, um, we never did straight hard money, but we had family and friends that did hard money, if that yeah. makes sense. So yeah. it was, it was still hard money terms. So mm -hmm. like, I remember at the time, I think one of them was like five, four points. And like 20%, like something nuts. Like it was just, you know, loan shark money. Like it stabbed yeah. in the back. If you like, don't no pay No problem. Back. I'll lend you some money. You're going to make me a lot of money. Yeah. If you pay me back. <laughs> so we, we did some of that crazy stuff. And yeah. I mean, I mean, looking back, it was kind of nuts, but like it played out. Like it, a lot of things could have went wrong for sure. Like we kind of felt like we had nothing to lose at the time. We were already at rock bottom. Bottom, so why not do it? So if you guys, you you kind of alluded to the fact that you had your numbers in order and you knew that you were losing money <clears throat> up front. Does that kind of, I guess you understood that and you continued to move ahead was it basically that you had no choice that you understood you couldn't be charging more than you were at that given time just based on um kind of no project history or anything um or I, I think that most people probably don't have their numbers in order initially and they don't realize that they're not making money so they think they're good but obviously you understood that you weren't making money yeah so oh, yeah I, I think like our our focus at that time uh, and and honestly like praise Joe for for uh, having that sort of mindset Tyler that you were alluding to where you know Joe is between Joe and I Joe is a numbers guy and I I 100% you know bought into that mentality or that mindset it was always like hey for Joe and I, those first five years, at, at year one, we were always thinking about year five. And I don't know, like for me personally, it was like, I don't deserve it yeah. just quite yet. 
I don't have the systems. I don't have the processes in place where I don't deserve it yet. And so we, you know, like Joe said, we signed up with Builder Trend three, four months into starting this company. And uh, then it was like, <clears throat> we did sign a bunch of contracts within that first year. It was like 12 or 15 um, new homes within that first year. Um, and, it, and it was just, okay, let's start, at, you know, looking back, like now I think I can talk about this, but it wasn't like, I wasn't thinking, okay, let's create mm. systems, let's create processes, but that's exactly what yeah. we were doing uh, within those first three years. Um, in order for us to feel confident to charge what we wanted to yeah. charge. I think those were just those building years that we just accepted. Yeah, I think, I think that, that most people probably within the first, you know, two, three years actually have no idea as to mm -hmm. where what that money looks like and where it's going. Um, just having the, the wherewithal to understand that and know, you know, we're at this point now, we our goal for year two, three, four, five is to get to a certain point that gives you such an advantage because you're not just floundering saying, well, where's it all going? You know, like we, we don't understand everything on paper looks like we're making money. Why aren't we actually making money? Mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest part with starting a business because when it comes down to it, you're making money, but so much of that money is going back into the business as an expense and you don't realize it. Yeah. You know what's interesting here, and I think this might, I'm going to just assume that this probably led into the reason that you guys kept going. I think about like what Tyler just said, a lot of people in the first few years have no idea where the money's going and they don't really have a good handle on it. I'm going to admit that's how I was in the beginning. I was just moving, moving, moving. And then at the end of the year, trying to clean it up and not having any really uh, real understanding. And it wasn't only until like two, two and a half years ago where I really sat down and said, we're systemizing this. And it's going to cost a ton of money, a ton of time. And we had, you know, from a financial standpoint, tough years because we were investing so much time and money in it. And I think about those times of in comparison to like what you guys did. You guys started at the bottom. You were you knew you were at the bottom and you just continued to trek up. And for me, I can easily look back and be like, I was up high. I was on top of that mountain and I dropped all the way back down and then I, I started reclimbing. So like the psychological side of it is like, well, I, I had the experience of the top and I lost it and then I'm trying to get back to it where it's like I th that that's a perfect opportunity for me to be like, F this shit. I'm out like I don't want to do this anymore where it's like you didn't you, you didn't you you were at the bottom. You were like, yeah, we got a hill in front of us and we're just going to trek up it nice and nice and slow and we'll get to it when we get to it. And 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 with that being said, it's like I was never actually on top of that hill. I just thought I was because yeah. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, oh, I got work going. I'm I'm working, you know, 80 hours a week and I'm, I'm making a ton of money. And it's like, I'm not. It's, you know, we, there's no system to this, you know. But I want to I want to go back to like is from my question on that. When you were looking at the numbers, like you're act, you're actively looking at what this stuff is costing and, and immediately knowing that this is going you're not going to make money on it. And like Tyler said, like you guys were doing it because you knew you, you had to, you know, you were you were carving your, your place out in the marketplace. But was there ever what was the consideration as far as like, all right, you know, what if we do this cheaper or what if we find it an alternative material? 
Like, was that just completely out of mind being that we have, not only do we have to be financially competitive, but we also have to put a product that is better. Yeah. That's, I, I think, I mean, one thing we were just really ignorant on how hard it would be to start from Vegas to the outsiders to Kansas city. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think we really realized how hard it would be to make a name for ourselves. And then Adam and I, from the beginning, were like so involved from the architecture. We drafted all the, our homes, our, we did all the interior design, and then we built them that like for us, like we, uh, we lost a lot of money by just making the projects cooler by upgrading mm. people's houses, like way too much. Like, Hey, we've got to do this trim work here, or we've got to upgrade this tile, but like it's X amount of dollars. We'll, we'll go in with you. Like we mm. did stupid stuff like that all the time. And we would be like, it's going to be worth it. You the say stupid, be- but Oh yeah. I, but I looking back now, like, do you think that was stupid? Not at all. I mean, I, we, we learned every hard lesson we had to learn. Like there was no other way to learn it. Like in reality, like it was the past 10 years made who we are now. And like, right. it, it's really hard to ever say like, could we have, could we have, like Adam said, could we have like increased our prices and actually been more profitable? I don't know if we could have, like, I don't know if like it, it was deserving or maybe we could have, but I don't think we would have arrived at the same time at the same uh, business that we have today. And I think we would have had a lot of lame, lame houses, lame projects. Yeah. Um, to your point, yeah, like we were, I mean, we're like everybody else. We we were such in the nitty gritty, ripping out stuff that we didn't like, um, upgrading projects for free because we wanted them to look a certain way. Um, I mean, I I remember doing trim ourselves, doing the work ourselves because we we're like, okay, they don't want to pay for that, so we'll just go and do that and we'll make it cooler. And this mm-hmm. will this will be a, a, a showcase. Mm-hmm. So, I, I I think too, like early on, like right when we got there, we were we were doing our best to push that envelope, Nick. Like what you'd said, like we were doing wall panels ten years ago, and people were like, "How the freak? What is this?" Where like the whole first floor walls w- would be shipped to the site, and they were all prefabricated, and and our competitions like, "What's going on over there?" And we were just, dude, we learned that in school, you know, like they taught you could do wall panels, like knowing what we know now, like we were really naive, but, uh, you know, trusses, eye joists, those were things that were pretty foreign in our market, um, 10 years ago. And now they're, they're the norm, but, but those, you know, those were the types of questions we were getting asked by homeowners. They're like, what is this roof? What is this floor system? And so like we were. Uh, doing our best to push the envelope, um, but we just weren't charging the right price for it. I, I always feel that that's just part, like it has, like you said, it has to be that way. I think that it's it's really nice to envision starting your company and having all the answers to all of this and understanding what product to put out and what systems to use. But if you were to kind of hit the ground running with all of that, I don't think, you know, you wouldn't have everything in place to understand how to kind of manage that workload and those type of customers and those jobs, you kind of have to start that way and you have to struggle and you have to figure out what doesn't work just as much as what does work before you can actually be successful. Uh, like if, if I knew what I do now, now, um, as to kind of what I was doing when I was 10 years ago, I would be so completely overwhelmed at 25 years old, trying to manage 
what yeah. I am now. Like, and I probably would have said, screw this. Like, I'm going to go get another job doing something else. Uh, you know, I, th I think about that all the time. And like, and I don't know anybody that listens to this is in the tech industry, but like, that's what like blows my mind. What you say is like a lot of contractors grow their businesses like very organically. And it's like, sure, there's people who like skyrocket to the moon. And I, I don't understand that. But like the organic growth of like learning and like uh, struggling, learning that lesson and then getting over it or, or being strategic and then, and then learning. We're like, it always blows my mind, like the tech bubbles and the tech booms. Like these people come up with this quote unquote unicorn idea, get a hundred million dollars, have to hire 500 people. It's like the, the, the disaster story of WeWork. You said something about that. Like, like these CEOs who are no older than us now or younger are like have to all of a sudden, you know, they're kids with this, this unicorn idea that everyone's buying into. And I always think like, what a mess that has to be to be, and some of them obviously make it work and now they're the richest people in the world. But like, I couldn't imagine having such an influx of cash. I'd be to, like, dead. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah>. Absolutely. <laughs> I couldn't imagine, like, I mean, for us being like so skinny at the beginning, like it made like us like worry about, Hey, we have a $500 Home Depot budget. Let's mm. try not to spend all that this time. Like, Hey, like, do you really need that little thing? Like, can we get it? Are we redoing work? I feel like we were really, I mean, we were really efficient at the beginning because we were there every moment. I look at budgets now and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's the contingency on that? Like, and we used all of it. <laughs> so I think that that, that learning yeah. path though, is what stunts residential construction industry as a whole, because every company is structured differently. Um, and everyone has to learn a certain way and every market is different and every customer's budget is different that yeah. it makes it really hard to kind of grow our industry on a larger scale because nothing's the same across the board. And it, the learning curve is it's so intense. Um, and then it's not necessarily transferable to like the next generation or the next company or the next business where it, you know, there's other companies or commercial companies that have kind of standards in place and things are done a certain way um, that, it makes you the industry that we're in the residential sector very unique. And I also think that it really yeah. does limit us, um, as far as the growth of every residential company. If you look at the big residential companies, a lot of times, you know, they're, they're pumping out a lot of the, a similar product, right. um, over and over again. And you look at big, big volume builders and stuff like that, but it's really tough to kind of scale a small company and then have it, have it last generation after generation. So true. So like to that point, you know, the first, uh, the first five years when, when Joe and I were doing this, the honest truth was this, like the way that Joe and I, cause I feel like Joe and I, we, we have very, very similar skill sets, uh, where early on, uh, you know, it would be like this. I have five jobs that I'm working on. Joe, you have five jobs that you're working on. The next client that comes, I'll take the sixth. The next one that comes, you take the sixth. And honestly, you know, as our company kept progressing, you know, it was like our customers were getting an Adam experience. Mm. 
or they were getting a Joe experience. And so you're, you're kind of touching on this scalable idea. You know, it took us five years to figure that out that, yeah, we are Cardinal Crest homes, but you're getting yeah. an Adam experience or you're getting a Joe experience. Right. And, and the, that's when we, you know, the light bulb went off. Right. And it's just like, dude, what do we do now? You know, and that was like one of those big turning points for Joe and I, where we sat down across the table and it was like a very serious conversation. <laughs> what is, what is your, what are your strengths and weaknesses? What are my strengths and, and weaknesses? And how do we do, how do we, how do we create this system where you're only dealing with your strengths and I'm only dealing with my strengths? And who the heck do we need to hire in order to turn this weakness point into a strength? You know, that's when I feel like Cardinal Crest, like it, it started to evolve. It started to become the Cardinal Crest that both Joe and I wanted, but it, it took us five years to realize that. And I think like all of our customers, they were having great experiences because we were involved every single step of the way. Joe and I were putting color boards together for our clients. We were going to the tile houses and picking out the tile and showing them off. It was laid this way. It looked but cool who was running the job? We are. See, that's same. A... Scheduling it all through, collecting all the, the invoices, but you're the like, bids, so, all of but, it. But subs were running the job. So like the electrician, the, like the framer, like if there was a discrepancy, they, they, they moved, they, they weren't, you weren't there running through layout and, and figuring out, or I, I mean, well, you, you were in, in some sense, but. So by year five, we had, gosh, I think we had one superintendent or was it, two, um, and we had our office manager and who else did we have at year five? I. I can't think if we had another superintendent at that point. Um, but we were really spoiled at the beginning, Nick, to be building in like a zip code, like super close. Where like, I remember like when we were doing 10 homes, I could line out like, there's like, it's just kind of this weird, like Kansas City has these like custom home neighborhoods with like, and I say custom, some of them were more semi-custom, some were full-fledged custom. And um, where I could line out, I could be in the morning, start at seven and line out this guy, uh, move to the next house, line out that guy, you know, and be 10 minutes away from the next house. Where like, at first we were super spoiled on how geographically like this little area that we built in was like, there's a golf course community. There was this higher end other community. There was these basements that we were doing. And so, um, but you're right. To that point, we were stretching thin. At year five is when we really started. Things started also kind of coming off the rails at the same time because mm -hmm. you're right. When the subs start running the jobs, that's when you're coming back and being like, "Freak, I told you something different," <laughs> and you mm -hmm. did the all easiest that. way. You did the easiest <laughs> way, the fastest <laughs> way. <laughs> well, I know it's funny because it's like years one through three, our wives hated us for a different reason. And then it was like year four through six, our wives hated us for this other reason where, uh, you know, we were so busy where it was just, we were putting in 80, hundred hour weeks. It seemed like where year one through three, there was just no money. And then it was like year four through six, we're starting to make money, but we are 
we're just I, it's all over year place. one through three. You're also ignorant and inexperienced. So there's a lot of things that are just happening that you don't give a shit about. And then the more you, <laughs> you the, don't yeah, like the more you learn, it's like, oh God, now we have to, we gotta, we gotta make sure somebody's on this job at this point because that's a critical detail that we screwed up on. It. You just start learning so many more things, and there's more things on your brain that you're putting in more effort to, and yeah. it's creating a better product. But I, I mean, I look back at when I first started, and I'm like, damn, I wish I could still be that ignorant again because I'd be so, like, I've slowed down. the The time that it takes me to do a job is so much longer now because there's so many things that I'm concerned about that I've learned over the years and it's a much better product, but it, I look back and I'm like, I kind of wish I could just walk away from things and be like, yeah, that looks good. And not, not question <laughs> how many things are wrong with it. Yeah. The more, you know, the more expensive you get. It's and terrible. The, the more like kind of grouchy you are about things. You're just like, no, I'm only doing it this way. And like, you look back at, and like, I even look back 15 years ago about the builders and being like, why are they so grouchy? Like, why are they so like to the point? And I'm like, well, they, they've learned so many hard lessons that now they're just like, no, I, I only do it this way. And that's why, because I've learned yeah. that that lesson was 40,000. That lesson was 60,000. Right. I'm, not, I'm never doing that again. I don't care. <laughs> and it's funny because like, they'll warn us, like us, yeah. the young guys, it's like, don't do that. You know, it's going to fail. And it's like, but look how cool it is. And I then know. we do it. And it's like, I'm dealing with warranty issues on some of these details. It's like, you know, everyone told me not to do that, you know, know. and those, they all had a good reason. And I was like, Nope, I can do it better. And it's like, it has nothing to do with my install. It's the way the client uses the product or it's the way the client uses, uses the space. And it's like, you, there's no way to, you know, prevent that. It's so true. Like I, I was listening to your guys's, you guys were talking to Luke Williams and you mentioned something about how like every construction company has to like start over and like, why is that? And Tyler, you just mentioned that too, but like, and I know like second generation builders do like really well, like obviously they're like profitable at least, but I, I don't know, like if you're going to do custom work now, I'm not talking about the commercial realm or production. That's a whole nother animal. And I think that could be transferred really well, but it is weird. Like, um, to become the builder that we want to become, I don't know how you not learn it the hard way. Like I, right. it sounds stupid and, and like really like when I look back and be like, come on, it's gotta be like, be able to be trained and, and, but like, sure you could train it. Like we've had, I'm sure we've all had like our helpers or superintendents. I can't tell you how many times, like I, some of the biggest failures we've had as a company or most costly mistakes were totally mistakes that we lined out with a superintendent or myself. And we said, this is how we're going to do it. And that one check box did just didn't get clicked. Mm -hmm. And we still, it still costs us an arm and a leg. But now that super will never do that again. And I will never let so many things happen until that. But like, it's so hard to say like you could teach that. I don't, without going through that, I don't. I, I don't, think that a lot of people have tried to, sorry, Nick, but I think a lot of yeah, people have tried to basically by specializing our industry. And there's so many different subcontractors because they want to create these systems where you can just manage them and get a similar product. But 
I I agree with you that I I don't think it's quite as easy as that because there's always a different sub, there's always a different crew, you always have a different budget, there's new materials that are introduced. So I think a lot of those principles um they cannot necessarily be carried to the next job or you know 5 years down the road, 10 years down the road. I think that a lot of times even though we're doing the same type, you know, we're going through the same type of motions. A lot of times we're doing everything for the first time, every time we right. do it. Um, and right. I, I think that you have to, you have to have this knowledge and this experience to understand how to kind of navigate that path. And I don't know, it's, it's like a lifetime of knowledge that would be really difficult to pass off to somebody else without them going through and walking that walk. Right. It's also like sometimes it's just hard to get the buy-in too, where it's like, hey, we're going to do it this way. You know, this is the like the approach I want to take. And when they haven't seen what could happen if you do it a different way, it's like, I don't get it. Like, you're just making my job more complicated. And it's I mean, like, I, no, there, there's, a def, there's a reason for it. Like, I, I, you know, I've, example, light switch location, always leave a little bit of an extra loop in the wall. So if they want to move the light switch a little bit, you know, later on, like now I'm not re-pulling a Romex, piece of Romex. It's like, hey, when you run, when you mount your boxes, can you just leave me an extra like coil before the switch just so I have a little bit of flexibility to move it around? You know, because, uh, you know, I, I've installed wider casing than we had originally specced and all of a sudden I'm crashing into light switches and I need to move them right. or whatever the case is. It's like you you. You learn those lessons and you try to, to share them, but it's getting that buy-in because they never experienced what it felt to feel that pain. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's something that we deal with right now. Sorry, sorry, Joe, but like where we are, I'm, I'm, I'm teetering the line of over micromanaging, but also like letting up enough where it's like, I want you to make that mistake. It's like, let me let you, I'm going to let you make that mistake as long as it's not detrimental to the company. So you learn from it and then we can quickly chat about it. And then hopefully it never happens again. Right. Where it's like, I, my immediate reaction is like, Hey, you got to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And then this, it will be your result where it's like, all right, well now I've given them everything and they, they, they go through A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And they're like, whatever, this is stupid. This is pointless. They get to G like, wow, can't believe I netted the result that exactly what you thought. It's like, no, but you don't realize that usually when I hit D, I screwed something up and I was, I helped you prevent that. And it's, it's, that's like, I don't know. Or they never had to pay for it. That's also yes. a, 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 a very, that's a I think sting lose, that you don't forget. Yeah. I think we would all lose employees. We'd be like, Hey, by the way, guys, new company policy mistakes are paid by you. <laughs> But like, it's, it's true when you're, when you're gaining that experience and it's on your own dime and like that anxiety of money, you know, like if, if I, if I screw something up, I'm not making money on this job. Like I'm mm -hmm. basically doing this job for free for these people and it's no fault of their own. That's one of the benefits of why you go work for someone. But a lot of times those mistakes, uh, you know, there, there's a, you don't quite remember them the same way. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that also even going into a job where you understand the stakes, you may be a little bit more careful when there's, when you don't have that level of accountability, it's like, eh, if there's a mistake, I'm still getting paid for it. <clears throat> and that's not saying everyone's like that way, but like that, 
let's be honest. That's one of the great advantages of working for someone. Yeah. Yep. I, I literally heard Adam say when I've asked Adam, like, hey, are you are you gonna let him do that? And he's like, Yes. And I'm waiting to see what he decides. And I knowing, knowing that I knew that he was gonna mess that up. But Adam was like, I mean, Adam's a good teacher like that. And he's like, uh, mm -hmm. we're gonna wait and we're gonna watch and see what he decides and then we'll step in. But mm -hmm. I literally had somebody do like what you just described. I just walked off one of our a commercial site and I had, I mean, it's a story that we've all heard of cabinet drawings. None of them. We mark out the cabinet drawings on the floor like everyone else should. None of it was done. Two months ago, I told him, Hey, you got to draw out all the cabinet drawings on the floor. You've got to get your you know crow's feet and you got to square it all off. Make sure it's done. Okay, cool. Wasn't done. Wasn't done. I kept reminding him. He's like, Oh, I went over it in detail with the framer for the pony. Good. <laughs> Great. It's done. Yes, it's done today. Freaking the cabinets are templated, no countertops. I'm in there and I'm like, man, this is like, this is really tight. You check this. Yeah. Architect walks in, dude, no way. He's like, I was here Friday. And I'm like, what did you figure out? And he's like, yeah, they're off six inches. And I'm like, mother freaker. <laughs> and I look, he, he comes back up. Luckily it's only two units that are detrimental. I, I, I love this guy, so I'm not going to call him out. And he knows. I, I just looked at him, and this, this is bad. I've called him out today. I'll talk to him about it if he listens to this. But I, I just looked at him, and I was like, you know, right? You know. And he's like, I know. And I was like, dude. And then he said, I put it on the wall. And I was like, man, we're not paid for that. You know it. We're not paid to put things on – to push paper. Everybody would do that then. We're the GC. It always lays on us. And like – the architect was way good and he was like, well, maybe we could figure it out. I was like, no, it's not for plan. We're ripping it out. We're ripping the three units that are like this are out. It's gone. And yeah. it's, a, it's a sucky mistake. I mean, it's a lot. There's a lot of plumbing, electrical cabinets have to be retemplated and moved. LVP, I don't even want to get into what the LVP is going to have to happen on those. But like, I know that guy, he's, this is his lesson. I mean, he, and he probably right. like, it is harder to learn. Like Tyler said, like, if you don't own the business, it's always my thought too, is like, how do you, I mean, talking about just employees in general and like having employees, like it's hard. Like, how do you, I won't say like punish, but like, how do you like teach them that lesson? So I it's think, ingrained, you know, it's cause I deal with this a lot. <laughs> not that I, I, not that I like dealing with this a lot, but we deal with, like <laughs> yeah. we all deal with this, right. Especially if we have employees and, and recently, you know, and I've even talked about it openly on the podcast here. It's like I've started kind of quantifying what some of these things cost. And, you know, and I'm not going back like, listen, dude, you cost me 50 grand. Like, yeah. what the hell? It's more just like, hey, listen, you know, you know, we ended up doing X amount of rework or like we, you know, Colby, uh, Trowel uh, Inc. He was on the podcast a few weeks ago. He did a job for us. And we didn't do a great job with framing. And, you know, the carpenters that we had at the time, just they weren't paying attention to the details. And I ended up paying Colby $12,000 more to flatten a wall, like flatten the whole space because I, I, that's what I wanted out of my own pocket. And we talked about that. I was like, guys, like, listen, we didn't hit the mark. It cost, it cost this job $12,000. And, I'm, you know, without saying it, and this is what I'm saying, like, without saying it, but you know who's paying for that. Everyone's right. like, yep, uh-huh, okay. I'm like, all right, like, and I, and go no further than that. But then we sit down and we'll talk as a company. It's like, listen, 
like, hey, that job didn't do well. Like we we lost out on a hundred grand, you know, whatever whatever it might be. And it's you know quantifying it and talking about it as a group. And I find that especially as a group does a lot more benefit than when it's just one on one. Yeah. Where it's like this isn't a mu- about calling this guy out that didn't lay the stuff out on the floor. This is about hey, what can Cardinal Crest learn from this mistake? Yeah, because then and everyone has a takeaway there too. Right. And you're not and, singling out somebody. Yeah, and and everyone, it's not, and you're not framing it as hey, whatever his name is, John or whatever, like John, like this is you know this is what you ended up doing and this is what it cost. And then it's like then Mark comes in and and does another job. He never. He never got to learn from that mistake. Yep. And we, like, <clears throat> I, it's like a weird thing, like navigating this conversation of, of these these mistakes. Like our industry, it's we are so full of like, I made a mistake, and there's this immense amount mm-hmm. of shame, you know, when we make this mistake. And we it's very easy, like for us right now in, in this sort of environment to share those mistakes what what i would love like nick at the builder show man you you and your buddy from a craddock Craddock builders like you guys were out to dinner you guys are direct competitors you know like that's amazing i would i want that so badly in my own market i want to sit down with a group of builders in kansas city and i want us to talk about our mistakes Mm and be okay with that and navigate that sort of shame that we all feel we're all the same. This freaking industry, mm-hmm. it's hard. It is tough. And that's like, that's, that's the, uh, that's the missing link where if we could take that sort of environment and just apply it to everyone's local market, let's just like have a safe mm-hmm. zone where we can all trust each other and we can just talk about our issues and then all of us are going to start. Dude, yeah, so those that don't know, you know, uh, we're in the same builder 20 group, which is kind of what we're talking about here. Having a group that is like, I want to go back to something in a minute, but like having a group that's like super, you know, involved in everything that's going on. Like we just filled out financials. We're sharing all this information. Like Joe and I are texting back and forth. We're like, Hey, did you submit yours? And I'm, and, and that, you know, I, speaking of that yeah basically basically and it's like going back to the comment i made a few minutes ago about losing 100 grand on a job one of those projects is on there and it was funny when i filled it out i was like oh we still we we weren't in the negative percentage and that was a positive to me (laughs) when the reality is like no no no, wait a second that's gross percentage like if i if i look at that percentage i think it's way in the negative but it, it like made me look at the project in a different light either way the point of those build a 20 groups is to do that, to be to be sitting at a table and being able to talk about issues and, and, and comb through and like and help each other. But it's like but they have to be in different markets so they're yeah. not competitive. And that's what I love about Kevin. And thankfully, I, I feel like I've made, you know, friends with a, a handful of guys in direct competition with me. And I've been at events and we've sat there and talked openly and I've and I've and I and I typically push that barrier where it's, you know, I, I push to see like how much I can get out of them. I'd be like, Hey, I'll, I'll just tell you straight up. Like, this is what I do. Or like, here, yeah. here's what my fee is, or here's what I pay myself a year. It's like, just to get like the, the reciprocation from it, because I want to like figure out, like, let's break the barrier. I'll be open. You be open. And, but my, 
my point in talking about this and, and what I love about it is that not only is it good for someone like Kevin and myself, but it's also good for the client. It's good for the, the entire team where it's, you know, if Kevin and I are looking at a job, we constantly will text you. We were at the Builder Show and we were, we both got an email same exact time. He's like, did you just get that? I'm like, yeah, I got that. And he's like, what, awesome. he's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I think I'm going to back out. He goes, I'm backing out. And I'm like, so, but it's to be able to do that or like, say we both look at the job. It's like, do, are you going to price it? I'm like, you know what? I might price it. He goes, I might price it too. I'm like, cool. Let it, you know, let's touch base after we do our own homework. And it's, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm at a million. I'm at a million too. Great. Maybe, maybe the best man win. And, and, and that way it's like, Oh, I'm at 600. It's like, Whoa, wait a second. I'm at a million. Why are you at 600? It's like, right. blah, blah, blah. he's like, dude, I, I didn't even see the, the pool in the backyard. And it's like, now it's, you know, you're, you're coming to the table for the, with the client apples to apples. Yep. And it's not, it doesn't become this price shopping game. It could be, it could still be based on price, but oftentimes now you're, you're bringing value in, in, in an equal part from both sides. And now it's just a matter of who do they want to work with? And, yep. and what the reason is, is beyond just who captured the scope within their, their pricing or not. I mean, without that, it's what we have today. It's a race to the bottom. It's supplementing materials. Right. It's hiding behind the catch 22s of here's your base price. And it includes almost everything. Don't mm -hmm. worry. You don't only go over this much more plus or minus. Mm -hmm. And it's like the cloak and dagger sales approach. And like, I mean, that's incredible. That's what, I mean, that's the problem. Is and I wouldn't say it's normal. Like Kevin and no, I, yeah. like, I feel like him and I have broken that barrier and it's, you know, we, we're out to, you know, at an event with someone else local to us. And we started to break that barrier down. And then like, you saw the guard go back up and I'm like, all right, like you can't be in our club, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird thing. Cause Joe and I, like that's, that's kind of our conversations right now is like, okay, phase two of Cardinal crest. Let's start breaking barriers of, of Kansas city builders. Um, we were kind of at that point where we're like, okay, if we, if we want to increase our margins, everyone else we, we need yeah. them to come with us right. kind of thing you know and and that's kind of like you know we're, we're we're trying to just bounce ideas how can we do this you know uh you nick you, you've got that uh builder coalition coming up kind of kind of thing that's happening in that Tennessee, Nashville, yeah. right yep um, and we're just like dude we we just want to do something like that in kansas city for our local right. guys let's see let's let's send out an invite let's right. see who comes We'll have, we'll have an agenda. We'll talk about things. Hopefully, let's see, we'll send it out to 25 people first. Hopefully say, five, five come, come it's, it's and we'll worth have it. a good conversation. Yeah. Totally. You know, it's, at, you know, we, we, I think we beat, beat a dead horse there with the, you know, the race to the bottom, but it's, it's something that we still continue to struggle with as an industry. Everyone, everyone is, is fighting over, I wouldn't say fighting over work, but fighting over who can do it faster and cheaper. And it's like, and, and clients push it as well it's like faster and cheaper faster and cheaper faster and cheaper and you know we've talked about it before where it's next thing you know all your trades have been beaten up these one man two man shows have been beaten up they're doing it as fast as they can for as cheap as they can they have no nest egg they they're working job to job they're they're chasing you down for a check the moment they finish and they're not putting their best work in because they can't and yeah. not like not only is that bad for them financially but it's also bad for them from for for their their mental health because they didn't get in the industry to do tile work 
for as cheap as possible. They got into right. tile work because they love doing tile. And right. they love they, they they love the creativity. And it's like and when you rip that creativity away from them because it's fat it's it becomes faster and cheaper, it's like, all right, like that's not that doesn't work for him. And and I wanna I wanna add to that because I think about commercial where commercial is very much about getting it in place as quick as possible. And that's not doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. And I think this is where innovation comes into play, where it's like the thing the, the robots and you know and and automation and prefabrication like this is where you can really utilize innovation and hey someone finds a way to install tile in a faster way by using robotics or or automatic like water jet cut out and the stuff ships out and drops down into a click like whatever the case is this is where there's a great place for it where commercial is designed to be let's get it up as quick as possible and you still want a good product but it's not it it's not a a quote unquote custom product. It's a pre specified product that needs to be delivered as efficiently as possible. Yeah, and there's and that, different tolerances there. Exactly. And you know, and but but you wouldn't hire a one two man tile man show that is all about, you know, creativity to go bang out thirty five units in a commercial project. Yeah, and it's the same thing you wouldn't hire a big commercial company to be doing like high end residential. Right. Can you get a robotic guy to put a, you know, put tile down in my five bay bathroom? It's like, yeah, no problem. 75,000 for the robot, <laughs> robot setup. And it's like, you know, it's, and, and I think that, you know, there's so many generalizations, you know, in everything we do, not just this industry and not just as like people, but it's like builders. Oh, I'm a builder. What's okay. What kind of builder? Like you're, right. I'm an auto, I'm an auto manufacturer. It's like, all right, what kind of auto manufacturer? Like the guy that builds like, you know, four conus eggs a year or 400,000 pickups a year. It's like you're, you're classifying, like those aren't the same thing. No. And you, and they're, and they're also taking very different approaches to how they do things. It's like, yes, you're ending up with a house or a home at the end, but what kind? And, and, and the steps that you took there, you know, were they more methodical, you know, thoughtful and, 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 and intentional or were they no you need to get the basics make sure the windows go down i don't care if it's motorized or not it needs a steering wheel needs an engine needs you know the wheels need to be able to be mechanically like there's certain things it's got to hit but then that's it there's no there's no bells and whistles beyond that i just had a visualization of like you guys remember johnny five remember yeah. that old 80s him just like laying tile with his like little tank tracks <laughs> short circuit um, yeah, <laughs> but you know what? Like, I think what you're what you're saying too is so we we do custom homes, and then we started this like commercial division that does like kind of we're trying to do more higher end commercial projects, but some of them are multifamily, and so with multifamily budget and schedule is ultimately a concern because you're trying to deliver a different type of uh, product, and they're totally different trades and subsets. And what's interesting too is that like the craft of a builder who's a commercial builder or even a subcontractor, like their craft is like the guys who work on our commercial site are extremely um, detailed and methodical in reading plan sets. The PMs are insane with their, with their, you know, talk about Excel geniuses. Some of the guys on here, I've done stuff with Excel that I didn't even know was possible. And, and the supers are just different 
they're different drivers. They, you know, they drive schedule. They know how to layer people. They know how to na- negotiate and, and, and navigate multiple trades on top of each other and still get a product. And like their craft is so much different than when we, you know, we're building this, we've got a home that's an artisan home that's going to be on a tour here in Kansas City. It's, it's, supposed, it's called the artisan home tour. Like the subs that we're using there and the, and the craft and like how methodical we are there is so night and day. It, but, but those people, like one of the guys that we had a big old metal rail built for that one. I mean, he's told me he, he does not know how to get his books together. Like, I don't even think he has – he wouldn't know how to even work Excel. But he's an amazing metal worker. And so his, like, he's just – and that's why those worlds are just so night and day, right? Because like the guy that's a metal worker for a commercial contractor, I mean, he's like production. Like, no, mm-hmm. I mean, he's – that craft is that his brain is wired differently. Where this guy who is working on this custom home, he, he I mean, I, I, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole, but like, I love this other guy because he's just like, bro, like, I'm just happy with this job. And you tell me you got a next job, like, I'm awesome. Like, that's cool. And then just tell me two weeks that you have something else for me. Like, he lives almost like for the moment of him doing his work. And he actually seems like a very happy individual. And I really am envious of what he does in his life because <laughs> it's very uncomplicated. He's just a craftsman and he's, he's an, an artist. artist. I mean, that, that's I, exactly what it comes into it, where like these guys and girls get into the industry because like it's their art. That's what they want. And I think, you know, a lot of people who get into the commercial or join a union, it's because it's a like a lot of times a better paying job there's a potential for yeah. retirement and it's not like you know like a union carpenter isn't going and joining the union because he wants to be like layering ornate crown moldings and cornice buildups and stuff like a lot of times it's like no i'm decent with my hands and i know that this is a good paycheck there's insurance you know there's different reasons for people getting into this stuff and i think you know a lot of times on the residential side that's what you're hiring for that's what you're getting paid for and on the commercial side, it's it's obviously about the execution, but there's more important things there. Um, yeah. You know what what you're actually getting hired for at that point. So true. It's and that even comes back to you saying you know that you're giving when your company you know is kind of delivering two different products under one one business because there's two different people handling them. Um, it's the, it's the same type of thing where you just have, you have two different customers, two different customer bases. And that kind of even touches on what Nick's saying, where he's getting together with this competition. And I think that's a good thing because I think that every builder has a different customer that fits them, um, the right way. And I think that, you know, the house that you build, Nick is going to be different than the house that Kevin builds. And I think Mm -hmm. when these jobs come across the table, if everyone's secure enough in their identity and their business, it's like, Hey, you know what? This is a great project, but I'm going to refer you to Kevin because this is up his alley more so than mine. And then Kevin does the same thing to you. And now the customers are happier. You guys are getting to do the jobs that you want and you're not fighting over those jobs. And it just, I think a lot of this comes down to what you're looking to deliver, what that product is and who that customer is. It takes so much, I mean, balls in the end <laughs> to like stay, stand by your pricing. Yeah. I mean, we, like, that's the thing. Like, I think we've now done it. And I think we're now we're, 
we're there and plus the market is better but like that's the other thing the the the, the what is it what, what am i trying to say the flip of the coin flip or what am i trying to say the other side saying, of the coin <laughs> got it <laughs> other side of the coin um is that i like don't think what, that's it i don't know if that's it either <laughs> i think it's the flip of the coin flip yeah it's the flip of the coin flip <laughs> We now have our sound soundbite. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, the problem is, is when the market dips and people get scared or your sales are low, like, like how, like it takes an incredible amount of determination and just like standing by who you are. And that just takes experience to say, no, like I know I need to make this and I don't care if I'm going to lose the next three sales. I'm not building it that way because we mm -hmm. could all say that now. Because times are good and people are backlogged. Right. But like, you know, when the she hits the fan, we all get a little squirmy and we, we're all business owners. We have we have, you know, families to feed of multiple some and, and that's the time it takes real conviction. I mean, that's the time it's like and the big problem is most of the industry and I, I don't know I don't mean to like rat out people because I know it's hard because I've been there and sometimes I'm you know, it, it can happen overnight, but I feel like what happens is once the bottom falls out, everyone's like, okay, drop the price, get out of here, cut, you know, let's, let's do it out of this. We'll get this cheap material. We'll hire this, the worst guy that we know he's like five bucks a square foot on framing. And we'll just, we'll just get it done uh, because that's how we, we have to put food on the table. And it's like sucks. Like but, what other industry does that? Like, don't you think that's because most of these companies are, are building their company based on a market rather than just yeah. like letting the com you know like having a yeah. goal for your company and then we're going to find the market to sustain that rather than like hey this is what the market looks like so now that's what our company is going to look like and i think that that's typically totally. what happens like there's these ebbs and flows and everyone's just like we'll be this company when it changes this way and then we'll be that company and where it's <laughs> like well why don't you figure out where you want your company to be where you're the most efficient and then find a market that sustains that Yep. But I think I'm I think a lot that. of that is people get greedier. They don't want customers going somewhere else or they can't say no. And there's a hot market and it's just like people want them. So they just they hire, they hire, they hire. And then when things slow down, it's like, well, what are we gonna do now? Which yep. I don't I don't know if you've you just spent five years creating all these systems to handle the workload that you do and now you're taking completely different projects at a completely different price point. It's like you have to relearn everything. Your business right. is not structured that way. Right. I mean, I, I think a lot of it too is, and like the barriers of entry to construction is what got us into it, right? Like they're really easy to like, you if you have a pickup truck or just even one and you have to share it. But you all you need is, you know, maybe an easy test. I mean, I mean, we had to take a test, but the licensing's easy, the tools are easy. Uh, there's lots, everyone feels like they're handy. Uh, I, I think, unfortunately, I think sometimes the best part of our industry is that those craftsmen, those artists who just do the work and don't care about anything else. But then the other, the, again, the flip of the coin side <laughs> <laughs> is that, that maybe that same person or another person that's like him is just a truck and a guy and he's willing to do it for nothing. He's willing to do it for, he's willing to look at the uh, that home that's a million dollar home and say, hey man, I made 60K, I would be stoked. That's a lot of money. 
And like, I like kind of don't pay all my insurances. I kind of don't really have anybody else. 60K is a ton of money and I have a little side hustle. And it's like, it sucks because it's the beauty of it is the artist. But the other point is that this low bear of entry kind of will ruin it. It's the bottom dwelling of the industry that sucks out. Uh, it makes the climb to the top hard, if that mm. makes sense. I think it's uh, the flip side of the coin. <laughs> Right. You, you looked it up. Example, nice. the economy is improving, but the flip side of the coin is that inflation is becoming a bigger problem. I like the, the other side of, of the pillow. Oh. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird, like, it's a tough dance. So cold. Right? Everything that we're doing, <laughs> that this, this whole, uh, you know, we, we create these companies, right? And then all of a sudden, they're, they're, they turn into these beasts that, consume mm -hmm. you know that just need cash yep you know we're we create we we build employees we start hiring people it's the most gratifying feeling in the world to to hire someone um and, and to you know to provide a means for for this individual and their family it's it's one of the it, it's a, it's incredible but then on that flip side it uh it requires it requires horsepower yeah the client mm -hmm. It requires horsepower. And so then like Joe and I, we start dabbling, I guess, in other things in when and if the flip side starts going downhill, I guess. Right. So like we've, we've started dabbling and I don't say, I mean, dabble, but like the commercial realm, right. We, we've started going that commercial realm. We started going a development side um and all of that the 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 big you know the the big reason why we're doing all that is to help protect everyone that we right. hired um in, in case um, it kind of sucks though that you kind of have to do that like i feel pigeon sometimes yeah. that like like i'm glad and like it's all again the commercial side and development side's like three years in the making and so like we've arrived where we've arrived but there's a part of me that wonders like man like it, it sucks that I felt like we had to bolster another company to always stay true to being like, we're just custom homes on Colonel Cross homes and we're not going to do that type of product. So to make sure we're always safe, we're going to kind of start this other company and then own some development. And like, um, I mean, I'm just complaining, but like it, you have to hedge your, I feel like I'm, we're hedging our bets to stay true to ourselves yeah. in different areas, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. But no, at, at the same time, what's the what's the alternative there where it's like uh, just let people go, you know? I know that sucks. Like I hate the fact that sometimes I, that that. I know you could do it. And I, I've been told that many times, like, you, I mean, worst case scenario, you fire everybody. I'm like, but that's like treating people like a commodity. Like it's like mm -hmm. I, I grow and love these people like that. I know their families. I'm like, so like we're really intertwined, I feel like, with our employees and they are so dedicated, like especially when you get people who've been with you for nine years right. and they're, they're like making like nothing is more satisfying. I feel like besides building some crazy cool stuff, but the fact that like you get employees who own your business almost just as much as you do, like in what they produce, like they, like I, it sounds like really like cheesy, but like, it's just like, a, I've got kids and like when you see, like your kid do something that's like so proud of or like an employee who's like who 
who takes it to that level that you never thought was really possible that you never really dreamed about. That's, that's where I feel like I owe them so much. Cause I'm like, man, you even created something better than I thought is possible. And now I, I feel like now I owe them. You know, they, they are part of partner crust, even though their name is not on the, on the, on the bottom line or they're not getting, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever, but, uh, you just owe a lot to them, I feel like. But I mean, that's why you put the pieces in place to be able to sustain those relationships and those employees yeah. when things turn. And it, maybe that's a, a temporary shift of attention or focus or job duties until you can sort out how to make that happen. I mean, we're always going to have to adapt and it's never going to be like our business isn't going to be linear, black and white. There's always right. going to be things that we have to change and kind of be fluid with our businesses. But I think the the main goal would be to, if there were an economic downturn, to have a business that's structured enough to be able to maintain the volume of work, whether it's commercial work or residential work, that you don't have to tell people, hey, go on unemployment. Right. And like it, you have everyone's best interests in mind, regardless of that's exactly what they want to be doing at that. Like you're not going to be like, Hey, there, you know, there's no residential right now. You're going to commercial and you're never going back to residential. It's like, Hey, we're all in this together. We're all going to be shifting focus. And when things start turning back around, we'll, you know, get back to what we were doing before. But I mean, that's smart. That's business. That's kind of building a business that's able to be sustainable for a long time rather than just one simple market where like any sort of fluctuation is going to either make you have a great business or a really shitty business. Do you think we all have like PTSD from like Oh six and like, like will the market, like I, like I feel like I'm always watching my back, but the, See, the I was market, well, I, w I was too, but like everybody I knew was like, like, I mean, I knew families that, just were gutted people that were gutted. I, I mean, story after story, I, I was, I told I had no exposure, but because of it, I always feel like the next shoe is going to drop. And I've felt that way the last 10 years, every little bubble. I'm like, Oh gosh, here it is. This is what we've been waiting for. you know, like, and there's a part of me that thinks because so much labor has left the market that will, and, and, and it's so lean right now and we can't even build inventory and whatnot. Well, that day, like, sure, it'll fluctuate and there'll be downturns. I mean, we had COVID and there was a, a, a recession, but will, will construction ever hit that uh, that moment again from the mass exodus of labor? I mean, it might it might not um, just because of the the shortage of labor there. You know, there may always be more of a demand um, than we can support based on just heads. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a pretty good point. Um, unsure to say, I, I always, I think that it's better to be safe than sorry. Oh, um, totally. and like it, I, right now, you know, the problem that we have, it's a good problem to have, but I, I think that being aware, it's just like making a mistake or learning a lesson in life where, you know, you always have to have that little residual pain or anxiety to kind of keep you on your toes. And as soon as that goes away, that's when the market does dump and you're like, oh, just when I had like finally given up on this is going to happen. Um, so I think it's always smart to kind of keep that in the back of your mind because you don't know what know what's going to change. Um, maybe it's not the the economic downturn 
that we kind of expected, but maybe something does happen. And, you know, maybe it's the, the whole material shortage where we just can't get stuff to be able to build. And it's like, yeah, we have the people on our team, but we don't have any of the product to be able to be building. So, um, I don't, I don't know how that would look. It might not ever look like it was back then, but I, I think it's good to kind of have a plan B in place. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, just like good on Nick and Tyler, you know, for doing the modern craftsman help inspire that next generation. That's, that's, that's like the real need that, that we need, you know, is the real need. That That's we right. Need. I like it. We, I like the way that you talked to Joe. I like the way you talked to Joe earlier better. That's really what we need, right? We need to inspire that next generation. And it's things that, that what you guys are doing with, with this podcast that, that really help inspire everyone in our industry and hopefully new people to join our Just industry. Johnny Fives. Just that's, a that's, bunch of Johnny Fives yeah, out there. Exactly. <laughs> For sure. Well, you know, we started talking about it in the very beginning of the podcast, and I want to I want to kind of end with the discussion of where you're at now in this beautiful building. So what, you know, going from, you know, supermarket booth, you know, to garage from basements to a, a WeWork. Now you're in your own building that you own, that you bought beautifully renovated like why why like if you were if the clients loved you guys showing up at their house why have this building well we were pissing off neighbors when we're when we were officing out of the model homes yeah we we moved one model home and one neighbor said you guys suck as neighbors like it's really hard to have seven 12 trucks in front of this so mm. i mean that's a short answer okay. um the long answer is uh, build wealth, own something. It's actually, after we bought an office, it's incredibly easy to own an office. We were paying some sort of rent before and you just feel like it's such a huge feat. But once you do it, you're like, wow, I, I now own this and I'm paying another mortgage, but I kind of was already. Mm. And all of a sudden, like I, I do regret not doing it sooner. Um, I think uh, as you grow as a company, you're trying to recruit a certain type of person, people, and you know, as you grow and and learn how to hire um, and vet people, you want to attract a certain person, somebody who is taking their job very seriously, who is, uh, and I, I think there's a level just like in homes, like if, if you want to build a, a really nice custom home, you better have built or at least can showcase a really nice custom home that uh, to somebody, or you have to build it for free, like we did. So I feel like the office was just like the next iteration as a business who's now going into uh, high-end custom homes to, to larger commercial projects that, you know, we've got projects that are 10 to $30 million on the commercial side. There's a certain presence that that just needs. And then yeah. uh, again, employee-wise, like we have 12 imp uh, employees on the home side, having their own space to work, having their own sense of pride of their own office it, I never thought we really would, to tell you the truth. And it just, as your your company grows and you keep on trying to hire different people, um, you you realize like you've got to eventually put on your big boy pants and kind of seem a little corporate in a sense to say like, we are established business and we will take care of you if you come on board with us. And yeah. we want good people 
we hired a lot of young people that were inexperienced at the beginning because that's what we could afford. And now we hire very expensive people that are very experienced and uh, they're awesome because they're more plug and play because they're the guys who learned all these hard lessons we've talked about, but they want to see a certain thing and they demand a certain thing because their life has been spent learning those lessons. My team is listening to this right now. Like, Oh, I'd like my own office. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and don't get me wrong. Like see this big room behind Joe. Like that's where everyone sits. Um, Everyone needs a home. It it just comes down to that. And it it's, it's important that everyone knows that they do have a home. And I I think the office has, uh, it's made a world of difference to our employees, to their productivity, to the, to the client that, that we're attracting. Um, it's everything. Well, it's been great. And plus when you, when you build in a neighborhood and there's 10 Cardinal crest trucks out in front of one garage, that's mm. a little weird. <laughs> what are they doing in there? Yeah. Yeah. Serious. Well, Nick's, I, I, Nick's definitely getting an office soon. Oh, well, I'm already on the hunt. I've been on the hunt for months. <laughs> Just Our reaffirmed shop. that. Our shop is too small. Ken <laughs> grabbed me right before the podcast. He goes, yo, we got to talk. And I was like, what's up? He goes, we need a bigger space. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I already knew that. Yeah, yeah, look at office dog. Yeah, well, Dang, he's got Jonas. his own he's got his own bed. <laughs> um <laughs> I want to ask a, a, a business technical technicality question. Now you guys get me all messed up in my words. <laughs> technicality question from a structure around partnerships. So you guys have partnered in business in business years ago at this point, but you know, was that ever set up as a formal partnership? What does it look like today? You know, just like one little piece of nugget advice, you know, when there's two people, it's oftentimes hard, you know, to understand, like, is is there a majority owner? Obviously, there's some there's a bunch of legal jargon that kind of falls behind. But what what worked for you guys? And, you know, kind of what was important in setting up a, a successful partnership? Because outside looking in, you guys are you guys are really well rounded and balance each other really well, you know. And I've been in your presence a handful of times now, where it's like you guys clearly know you know what your roles are, and you guys are building this together. And I think that's really important to know. Um, I'll say something quick and let Adam speak. Um, I think a lot of people in our world of capitalism, look at partnerships on how they can leverage and get more over their partner. I think that's, uh, Adam and I are 50-50. We've been like that from the beginning. I think at the beginning, uh, we had different skill sets. And I think that probably could be argued one way or the other to try to get one of us to have more than the other. And I think a lot of like people in business would say, oh, you've got to keep 59. You'd have to keep 51% for yourself. And you've got to be able to do this. And, and, and that's like, so you can have total control. And I think, you know, I, I could see how that could work if you're always planning a hostile takeover. <laughs> but for us, being 50-50 partners, like, made all the difference that we had to work it out, that we mm. just had to work it out. And that we kind of, and we were spoiled that we had to, I say spoiled, but move to this island of Kansas City and be each other's support system. And that, I mean, we were friends in college, but like, not like the friends we are now. And I mean, Adam and I, we, we probably to our own detriment, hang out way too much. We're playing pickleball tonight in the tournament that we play on Tuesdays. Um, I, I don't get the pickleball except uh, <laughs> uh, it. it's like, 
everyone's obsessed with it. It's fun. And, and it's- someone, I was talking to someone at the builder show and I was like, isn't it just like mini tennis? And one yeah. of his friends heard me say that from afar and thought it was the funniest thing because it was like That's insulting funny. to him. I was like, I'm not trying to insult. I just feel like it's like, don't you play pickleball sideways on a tennis court? Like, cause it's yeah. like with a smaller, like, I, I don't know. It's, hey, let's get back. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think that's it. I think, uh, going into a partnership and realizing it's like a true partnership. Like yeah. you, you can't be strategic on trying to take having a leverage over your partner mm-hmm. or that, that you should own more because of such and such. Like, I think Adam and I could both sit here and, and relate back to the beginnings and say how one was more skilled in one way and he was more skilled in the other way and argue like, I think if one of us had 51% over 49, I think we would not be partners anymore. I think just the morale of that, of knowing that like, Interesting. like I, I don't think it would have worked for us. And, and I'm not saying that's for everybody. Like, obviously, like I know you have partnerships and like when you're more established business and you're like being that kind of like, not venture capitalist, but being like the guy who's like putting in all the money, that's a whole different scenario. We were, from the ground up. Yeah, zero, zero to a hundred. Yeah, we knew, I mean, Adam and I, one of us would have left because we said, screw this dude, I'm on food stamps and I don't, <laughs> Right. this just sucks. And so like, I think that was huge for us. It's awesome. It's always been 50-50 and you know, we have hundreds of legal documents signed where Joe can sign my name on anything and I can sign his name on anything. Um, we have complete access to the bank accounts, each one of us, all of us, everything is super transparent and it's always been that way for this very reason. Um, So that we can have good, honest conversations with each other and make good business decisions because we know whatever decision we're gonna make, it's gonna affect both of Mm -hmm. us equally. You know, if if this ship does crash and burn, we're both going down with it kind of thing, which, I, I think that's just like the greatest incentive for each one of us to just like keep going. Cause as it grows, as it builds, we're both growing with it. Um, it's, it's actually, it's never, it's never ever shoot. Maybe we should have another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we've never, we've never ever questioned it. Never. Um, like it's, well, I just, I, mean, I, like it's, that's never I find it so question. interesting and, you know, especially, yeah, you know, now, Ken and I are partners on Materia, Doug and I are partners on Motif, and these are a lot of things I, I I thought about, and, you know, but even more what you just touched on, it's like, yeah, we have full transparency, and, like, everyone has access to everything, but then it's like, I'm going to make a big purchase on something, or I'm going to go get the van wrapped, and it's going to cost me 5600 bucks to wrap the van, because I want to do a full color change, and I go to do it, I'm like, wait. I gotta, I gotta make sure Ken's cool with that. And he's like, yeah, I'm cool with that. I'm like, all right, this is just going to get a little, you like getting used to like making sure like we're like you and I are on the same page and we're not making decisions that make sense and you're making decisions. And I think that's the, the initial react. Cause I've always just been, you know, a, a sole proprietor. I've always owned everything and it's, yeah. you know, but I think that I, I like that the fact that, you know, you basically set you guys selves up where it's you have to work it out there's no there's no there's no other opportunity you either work it out or you dissolve it entirely yep and let's maybe rehash this conversation in like (laughs) six months oh no because no 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 no. because as as we're growing right we we do understand that 
you know, on, on some of these other things that, that we've grown, I, I think there is opportunity for others to come in and, and become partners within some of these ventures that, that we're dealing with. And so we, you know, that's going to be something new that Joe and I are going mm -hmm. to navigate. And, uh, so it, it'd be good to talk about that again. Awesome. Appreciate you guys being on. Yeah. Thank you. Jeez. You you, you guys yeah, just like sure. go start. I've heard people say that and like, Oh, I'm people talk to about it on your podcast. Yeah. Like oh, people are like, I thought you, I thought there was like a private group, like guys, if you're <laughs> on his pocket, like they're just going to be recording. He's gonna open with variety. Oh, I'm totally going to start an underground like uh, message board. It's going to be a Reddit, a Reddit board on modern craftsmen Dude, tells all. You could start it on, I don't even know how to use Reddit. People send me stuff on Reddit and I open it up. It's like, do you want to open up the app? I'm like, there's an app. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, totally. we were talking I'm on 20 minutes in. Way. I was like, Oh shoot. It says recording. That must be, I'm not going to ask because that's how everybody says it. I'm like, Oh gosh, it is a ghost it's, start. It's just a conversation. <laughs> it's cool. Thank you. For it was sure. fun, guys. Thank you so much. I can't believe it was two hours. It lasted, it went quick. It was it's fun. crazy, right? Yeah. Well, I'll see you. Yeah. I'll see you guys in a few weeks. Yeah. Two weeks, I think. Totally. Yeah. Are you gonna... boarding? What's that? Are you going to board? Or yeah. Ski? How do I ship that thing? Do I? Oh, I'm. Do I think ask... a bag or something? <laughs> ask, Dude, that's ask a question Adam. for a different podcast. <laughs> 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 All right, we'll talk offline. All right, guys. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. All right, it's a pleasure. All you got to do is hit the X and you're out. X, X, leave. Just close out the whole yeah, window. We'll see you guys. Just the, we like got to add internet. that to the, the, yeah. the, the, uh, <laughs> the description. <laughs> see you, Joe. Those guys are great. Yeah. Good they barbecue. Get, they, I'm going to get out there and get some barbecue. That's the second person from Kansas City, right? Yeah, Missouri. Yeah. They, uh, I've caught up, I caught up with them at the builder show and I met them. I think I met them for the first time at the first builder 20, um, group, but like we didn't even get into their whole operation, but they're like, they're literally doing everything from customs to development to this commercial side. It's just, you know, the amount of projects they have going on is just wild. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of that stuff overlaps, but I'm sure a lot of that mm -hmm. stuff does not overlap where you know mm -hmm. there's just like two different businesses there which always kind of amazes me but i think at the at the end of the day to be successful as a business um and kind of be able to withstand a lot a lot um and and uh kind of sustain a business for a long time having your hand in multiple things and kind of diversifying and building wealth in many different ways obviously is is a big secret to success yeah you got to have I mean, systems in place to handle that. Dude, just the, just the fact that like, just them talking about being on food stamps and, you know, literally meeting in, in school, leaving and just being like, um, you want to start a business? Yeah. So dumb. Like, but that's the way it happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's just why it, it is. It's, it's like, like, if you is. were smart enough, anyone told me that I'd be like, uh, that's why his dad no. was like, you're an idiot. Yeah, I mean, I think to think about like where I was mentally graduating college and who I would have asked to be in business with. Yeah, I, I don't like to yeah, this yeah, day. I, like right now, I don't even know who that would be. Beer fast. So what's that? You can shotgun a beer fast. You want to be my business partner? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it could be bad.
Well, if you guys want to check them out, they are our Cardinal Crest and their Instagram. We didn't even tell their Instagram handle. No, we didn't ask them. But uh, Cardinal Crest KC on Instagram. You can check them out or cardinalcrestkc.com. They do. They actually do a really good job with uh, TikTok as well. They take all like the TikTok trends, like the funny ones, and they apply them to, you know, home building. They, they just posted one today I saw. And it's like he's like in, in inspecting the house after hours. And it's like when you see the realtor and their client coming to see the model home after hours and, he, and it's like he runs out of the house. It's just funny. But either way, guys, you know where to find us. Hit us up on Instagram. Make sure you, you are resharing so we can reshare on our stories. If we're doing a good job. Head over to iTunes. Drop us a five-star review. Otherwise, hit us up in the Instagram DMs and let us know how we can improve. We appreciate you guys listening. Next week, we have Tyler from Kilowin Construction. Uh, if you don't know who that is, uh, he has partnered up with Studio McGee. Uh, I think he's the builder of their choice, built um, Studio McGee's home, also been the builder on their television show on Netflix. Um, so, and I mean, he's just building un- unbelievable homes in Utah. So check him out and we'll touch base with him next week. Bad first name. Hmm? Bad first name. Oh, Tyler. <laughs> Tyler. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I was like, what did I say? (laughs) 